Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Let us try, ladies and gentlemen, the motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. You know that. They're not singing it today. I'm giving you a break. But uh, and, and speaking of breaks, you know that the, the Corps is uh, killing cormorants. They, they put the Corps in cormorant um, on the West Coast to try to uh, save the uh, salmon. Here are two stories this week that uh, put that into uh, too much perspective. Dayline Mountain Home, Arkansas. Hi, Mike Huckabee. The Army Corps of Engineers Mountain Home Project Office is going to discourage or trying to discourage hundreds of vultures from damaging the Corps' handiwork at a couple of dams. Bull Shoals. I'll meet you over Bull Shoals. We'll do some bass fishing. And Norfolk. Norfolk. Uh, A couple years ago, the Corps requested and received a permit from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to use a lethal method to discourage... Yeah, lethal discouragement. (laughs) That's a good one. To discourage the vultures from roosting and damaging the dams and powerhouses. The Corps has renewed the permit the last couple of years. This is the first year the Corps will use the permit to take... That's lethal discouragement. A small number of vultures to discourage others from roosting and damaging the cores. It's it's the roosting and the damaging that they're working on. They developed several long-term methods to discourage the birds. Yes, when you want to discourage vultures, call the Corps of Engineers. Um, They've tried for the last three years non-lethal methods such as bird spikes, ow, propane cannons, tactile repellents, plastic dead vulture effigies, and general harassment. What, they play talk radio really loud? No, using pyrotechnic noise-making devices similar to fireworks. Thank you. And they play that sound. The vultures have damaged the softer, more pliable materials found in the dams. Yeah, you want, you want your dams to have soft, pliable materials, don't you? To... They have also damaged parked vehicles by pecking and stripping windshield wiper blades, door insulation, and any soft exterior materials. They're vultures. The caustic vulture droppings also have damaged. Well, you can imagine that. The number of vultures congregating on core infrastructure began in 2012. Story from uh, the Baxter Bulletin in Mountain Home, Arkansas, gives us no idea of where the vultures were before then, where they came from. How do you attract those vultures? The birds have caused damage totaling tens of thousands of dollars to the facility. So the Corps is going to try lethal discouragement to another species of birds. Meanwhile, because the Corps is so concerned about fish, like the salmon in the Columbia River that they want to save, that's why they have to kill the cormorants, because they don't want to do anything about their dams, here comes another story from another part of the country, an escalating legal fight over a $59 million federal dam project on Montana's lower Yellowstone River could dictate the fate of an uh, endangered fish population that's been blocked from its spawning grounds from, for decades. No spawning for you. Construction on the dam northeast of Glendive, Montana, will begin later this year. Uh, plans go according to plan. Environmentalists, though, this week asked a judge to block the work. They say a proposed bypass channel meant to let the fish, the pallid sturgeon, oh, circumvent the dam, could fail, dooming the population of aging fish that could reach five feet in length. Pallid 
Sturgeon, ladies and gentlemen. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the Interior Department say a two-mile channel will allow sturgeon to access more river miles upstream for migration and spawning. Government biologists say that is a potential lifeline for the recovery of a population that has dwindled to an estimated 125 wild fish. They've been essentially trapped downstream of a rock structure since it was built in in 1905. At least one female fish managed to swim around the structure during high water last year, but that was considered a rare occurrence. We, We think if the dam is built and it doesn't work, it's game over for the sturgeon, said representative of the Defenders of Wildlife, which joined the Natural Resources Defense Council in a lawsuit against the federal agencies. The Corps wants to construct a solid concrete wall that would stretch across the river and the two-mile-long bypass. Environmentalists contend that alternatives, such as using pumps to deliver irrigation water to nearby farmers, should have been given more consideration. Pallet sturgeon became endangered in 1990, they date to the days when Tyrannosaurus Rex built dams in Montana. Speaking of which, how's our uh, how's our dead zone for- dead zone forecast in the Gulf this year, Bill? Well, there is no Bill. Using the amount of water flowing in the Mississippi River and the amount of nitrogen in that water, scientists are forecasting an average-sized dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico this year. Four computer models were used to come up with a forecast. 5,483 square miles of dead zone, low oxygen area, devoid of marine life. Well, that'll save the Army Corps some work. That's considered an average size. It's still much larger than the goal declared by the federal government of reducing the dead zone this year to 1,930 square miles. That's a goal that's not going to be met because nothing much has changed in the amount of nitrogen coming down the river, primarily from Midwestern farms and their fertilizer. The dead zone occurs, as you know, when nitrogen flowing down the Mississippi, nitrogen from the nitrogen-rich fertilizer runoff, thank you, Middle West, flows down the Mississippi and feeds tiny plants that die and fall to the Gulf floor. The decomposition of these plants uses up oxygen in the lower water column. When the oxygen level gets low enough, (laughs) dead zone. An average dead zone. We're looking for an average dead zone this weekend. Could get more higher than average come Monday or hump day, sir. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, total, total, qu- oh, yeah, before, before I get to that, first note on the uh, tragedy in Charleston, the horrific scene in Charleston, Republican resident, uh, presidential candidate Rick Perry, who uh, kind of flushed himself out of the race last time around, by failing to remember the names of the three federal agencies wanted, he wanted to do away f- with. Uh, Education Department. Um, um, so now he's gone on a, a radio interview show calling what happened in Charleston an accident. Now, I, I think fortunately he didn't call it an accident, but he did call it an accident. And then his staff rushed to uh, point out that he meant an incident. It must have been clear from the context of what he was talking about that it was an incident, not an accident. They did not point out, but I will, that at least he didn't call it a coinkydink. Ladies and gentlemen, by coinkydink, I was uh, and my wife were in Malibu Canyon Park a couple months ago 
to uh, witness the beauty of that spot. And it, it hadn't occurred to me then, but it has occurred to me later, that that whole area has always, even in the bad old days, been um, kind of in a radio dead zone for people to be able to hear this broadcast over, um, over the radio thing, you know, the thing that, that uses the big tower and does the thing. Uh, so imagine my surprise and delight when news came that as of today, the show will be heard on the radio in Malibu. Oh, Malibu, yes. Malibu, yes. Malibu de Bamba. That's correct. So welcome aboard KBU, KBU 97.5. As of today, the show all over Malibu. Hello, welcome to the show.
from New Orleans, Louisiana. But beautiful moon here last, last night, too. I guess we, we all have it. Uh, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now... What the frack? The news of our friends in the fracking business, what's being called one of the most comprehensive groundwater studies ever done in the United States, was published this week. According to the lead scientists, some of its findings are, quote, incredibly alarming, unquote. So I guess he wanted to make the papers. The tests were performed over the past two years in the Barnett Shale and uh, purport to show a growing link between fracking and groundwater contamination. The study is published in the trade journal Environmental Science and Technology. Dr. Zach Hildenbrand, one of the lead authors of the study, collected samples from hundreds of water wells in 13 counties along the Barnett Shale. This is in Texas. During 2013 and 14, the results show water contaminated with, quote, multiple volatile organic carbon compounds throughout the region, including various alcohols, the BTEX family, benzene, toluene, ethyl benzene and xylenes and several chlorinated compounds. Dr. Hildenbrand told uh, WFAA-TV that all of the chemicals are associated with the fracking industry. When you find a BTEX compound with a chlorinated compound with an anti-corrosive agent all in the same water well, it's pretty shocking evidence that there's been a problem, he said. The only industry that uses all of those simultaneously is the oil, I think he said oil, oil and gas industry. The study does point out it doesn't establish fracking as a source of contamination. That is to say, hasn't proved causality, just correlation. Which is what the oil and gas industry advocates jumped on in their response. Activist groups and some media are trying to manufacture a fracking link that the data don't definitively support, said Dave Quast, with energy in depth. A North Texas environmentalist with Earthworks, Sharon Wilson, said regardless of what's to blame, the test results make it clear that using well water in the Barnett Shale area where fracking is being done is now proven to be potentially dangerous. And Pennsylvania and some homemade pumpkin pie. Pennsylvania regulators plan to levy a record fine against a shale gas operator who reportedly failed to correct a well that leaked methane into nearby water supplies. Maybe you, you people who live in, you know, you're, you're benefiting from the uh, economic bonanza of fracking. Just give up water. Just give up drinking water for a while, you know. Some, now that's not too much to ask, is it? Range Resources, the Texas-based company that drilled the first Marcellus shale well in 2004, faces an eight, almost a $9 million civil penalty stemming from that leaking gas well in Lycoming County following a pair of multi-million dollar fines against drilling companies last year. Range has a responsibility to eliminate the gas migration that this poorly poorly constructed well is causing, said the state environmental secretary in a written statement. Range denies methane found in nearby groundwater has any connection to its wells. We believe we've complied. We're very confident in the mechanical integrity of the well. According to the Department of uh, Environmental Protection, drilling at the well began four years ago. With fracking operations, a later investigation showed that methane had contaminated a nearby stream and private water wells fed by groundwater. It's a coinkydink. Nutty coinkydink. 
In 2003, the Department of Environmental Protection issued a violation, a finding of a violation against Range for that leak, apparently stepping from a, stemming from a defective cement casing at the well, one of the same vectors of disaster that happened at the Deepwater Horizon well in the Gulf of Mexico. The problems, however, have persisted at the uh, well in Pennsylvania, and dead spots have emerged in the surrounding area with gas escaping through the soil, according to the Department of Environmental Protection. Nearly two years later, the department issued another order calling the continued gas migration unlawful conduct and a public nuisance. It required that the company submit and implement a plan to address the problem. The the darn bureaucrats rejected the plan submitted by the company because the fix involved putting the same well into production without any repairs. What the frack, ladies and gentlemen. That's a, that's a fix. That's a fix we all can live with, I think. I think we can acknowledge that. The, um, the mellow strains of the revolving door waltz should be playing in your ears as I share this with you. For more than two years now, the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission has been aware that most the most dangerous banks on Wall Street have been engaging in capital relief trades with hedge funds and private equity firms to dress up the appearance of a stronger capital balance on their books while keeping deteriorating assets on those books. Neither Mary Jo White, uh, head of the SEC, nor her director of enforcement, Andrew Ceresny, have put a halt to the practice. This basically means banks are supposed to hold a certain amount of capital uh, as a um, protection against problems in the economy where they they might be uh, their stability might otherwise be endangered and this is a way of making it look like they have more capital than they actually do why would this be happening or not happening both Mary Jo White and Andrew Ceresny her director of enforcement come from a corporate law firm Debevoise and Plimpton whose clients include the biggest banks on Wall Street Ceresny had been with Debevoise since 2005, representing people charged with corporate crimes and securities fraud. This, by the way, is from Wall Street on Parade website. Their former law firm, while uh, White and Ceresny have failed to stop this practice, their former law firm has been gushing over the trades and drumming up business for the practice. In a Debevoise publication sent to clients in 2013, the law firm indicated it had experience in these deals, which involve hiding unpleasant, possibly toxic stuff so it doesn't show up on the uh, balance sheet and need to be offset by more capital. And so they, quote, appear to be particularly good opportunities for funds to generate revenue by providing targeted credit support while retaining the ability to actively deploy capital as needed. While it remains to be seen if transactions of this type can be structured in ways that are appropriate and attractive for a traditional private equity fund, it is yet another example of the innovative emerging opportunities for capital providers to make effective use of balance sheet capital as banking organizations adjust to the post-crisis regulatory paradigm. Bloomberg News a couple of years ago reported on one of these similar trades between Citigroup and Blackstone Group, a private equity firm. Blackstone had insured Citigroup against initial losses on $1.2 billion of shipping loans, allowing Citigroup to lower the amount of capital the bank had to set aside 
by 96%. The problematic loans remained on Citigroup's balance sheet, according to Bloomberg. Citigroup uh, meltdown in 2008 received the largest taxpayer bailout of a bank in U.S. history. Part of the reason, structured investment vehicles that a big London law firm helped it create that ostensibly moved subprime debt, in those days housing debt, off its balance sheet. Last week, the Treasury's Office of Financial Research blew the whistle on the darkness surrounding these capital relief trades and suggested they may represent a growing systemic risk to the financial system. No response from the two folks passing, doing the revolving door waltz as we speak. Ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasure. Did you have any listening pleasure at this then? I don't know. Uh, but we'll let that pass. And we'll, I think we'll go straight to this. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He's at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yes, indeed. The uh, news of Inspector General. And uh, first, of course, our friend. I, I've no, I've never, never met him. Um, but he, I'm sure he'd be my friend. If only, uh, if only we met. And uh, we wanted to be friends. The uh, Special Inspector General, I say, for Afghanistan Reconstruction. Or is that in the world of acronyms, he is the CIGAR, as I G-A-R. Light one up, won't you? Uh, He has a new report, an eye-opener, if your eyes are closed. The new Afghan Minister of Education and the Minister of Higher Education recently told the Afghan legislature that former ministry officials who served under the old president, Karzai, provided false data to the government and to international donors regarding the number of active schools in Afghanistan. It's one of the things we've been told we were doing as we were building the nation. The ministers reported there are no active schools in insecure parts of the country and that former officials doctored statistics or at least nursed them, embezzled money and interfered with university entrance exams. These allegations suggest the U.S. and other donors may have paid for schools that students do not attend and for the salaries of teachers who do not teach. Of course, U.S. aid has often pointed to the education programs as being as mu- among its most successful in Afghanistan. U.S. aid cited a jump in students enrolled in schools. These were jumping students from uh, almost a million in 2002 to more than 8 million a couple years ago as a clear indicator of progress. But the data U.S. aid uses to measure that progress came from the Afghan Ministry of Education. U.S. aid has said it cannot verify the data, and it now appears this data was falsified. But our work goes on. Also, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services internal controls did not effectively ensure the accuracy of nearly $2.8 billion in financial assistance payments to insurance companies under the Affordable Care Act during the first four months that the payments were made, according to the Inspector General at the Department of Health and Human Services. That's $2.8 billion in just four months. The inspector general found that this is this, 
Center for Medicare and Medicare Services, Medicaid Services, is the government's agency that handles most of the payments under uh, the Affordable Care Act, found that CMS's reliance on health insurance issuer attestations, that is to say, what the insurance companies said, did not ensure that advanced cost-sharing reduction payment rates identified as outliers were appropriate. CMS did not have systems in place to ensure that the financial assistance payments that were made on behalf of controlled, uh, sorry, of confirmed enrollees were made on behalf of actual enrollees and in the correct amounts. CMS also did not have systems in place for state marketplaces to submit enrollee eligibility data for financial assistance payments, according to the report. In addition, the report said CMS did not always follow its own guidance for calculating advance payment and does not plan to perform a timely reconciliation of these payments. The internal control deficiencies that the IG identified limited CMS's ability to make accurate payments to qualified health plan insurers. Bug or feature? On the basis of sample results, the report concluded that CMS's system of internal controls could not ensure that CMS correctly made financial assistance payments during the first four months of the Affordable Care Act without those effective internal controls. The report found a significant amount of federal funds are at risk. Well, how about how about doing what we do for other at-risk entities? Midnight basketball for those funds. And deadline Washington, devastating year-long government audit finds sweeping problems. Not sleeping problems, sweeping problems at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, saying the agency failed repeatedly over a decade to discover the General Motors ignition switch defect now linked to more than 110 deaths. The scathing... This is that's the description by the Detroit News. Forty two page report by the Transportation Department's officer and inspector general says that NHTSA, the nation's auto safety regulator, fails to carefully review safety issues, hold automakers accountable for safety lapses, carefully collect vehicle safety data or properly train or supervise its staff. And it says NHTSA rejects most staff requests to open investigations into suspected defects. Collectively, these weaknesses have resulted in significant safety concerns being overlooked, according to the report. The report was obtained by the, Detroit, by the Detroit News. It's expected to be actually released tomorrow. The report makes 17 major recommendations for widespread reforms. NHTSA personnel for years ignored complaints that airbags failed to deploy in GM cars and charges the agency didn't document why it didn't investigate them. The agency declined to open a formal investigation into deaths in the cars in 2007, but an associate administrator said NHTSA should keep an eye on the issue. A screener assigned to keep tabs on it left the agency in 2008, and nobody was assigned to replace him. Last year, almost 3 million cobalt Saturn ions and other cars were recalled for defective ignition switches that can inadvertently shut off the engine and disable power steering. And airbags. The automaker delayed recalling the cars for nearly a decade after some within GM became aware there was a problem. In February, the White House asked Congress to triple the budget for the NHTSA's Office of Defects Investigation and double its staff. NHTSA says its Defects Investigation Office ideally would have another 380 workers. It has 60. The Inspector General's report, though, says NHTSA has suffered severe systemic problems for years in how it trains staff and in deciding when and how to investigate defects. It says the agency's investigation decisions lack transparency 
and accountability. Further, the audit says NHTSA ignores 90% of consumer complaints that arrive daily. A single reviewer spends just seconds reading each one. Asking for accountability. What century are you living in? News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. Copyright feature of this broadcast. Sits on the bridge The crowd is waiting The chains are locked across my chest There's no heart breaking I've done this show a thousand times The tricks so easy As they lower me into your waters there's no escaping There's a secret passage out of here But I don't want to reappear I just want to stay with you in here In Houdini's box Close the lid and tie the knot i mm-hmm. 
From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you are aware that I'm sure, I'm sure you are, I'll bet, I'll bet cash money on it, that uh, Brian Williams this week was uh, returned to some air uh, by NBC, not NBC air, uh, MSNBC air, which uh, is the Hollywood, I uh, know, the rap, the uh, Hollywood trade uh, publication reports, has about 10% of the audience of NBC, MSNBC, the cable channel. He's been named the breaking news anchor at a channel that does not that much breaking news. But uh, he he then followed up the announcement by doing an interview with NBC's Matt Lauer on the Today program. And uh, I have to say, it was a, a, a moment in time, just a moment in time, just a passing moment, but certainly one of the more remarkable examples of something that uh, it could be said to be a, a philosophical lodestone of this broadcast, which is people never learn. Uh, so here is Brian Williams, who has been serving a five-month suspension for serial exaggerations of news stories, putting inserting himself as a participant into news stories uh, that he did not participate in. Uh, so just returned from that suspension as a serial exaggerator. And Matt Lauer asks him this. What have these past five months been like for you? Uh, it has been um, torture. Not like torture. Not, not a simile, ladies and gentlemen. It has been torture. So lesson, lesson learned. Um, he also... Uh, delivered what uh, I guess would be the Apology of the Week, only because of the tone of voice he uh, assumed in delivering it. I am sorry for what happened here. I am different as a result, and I expect to be held to a different standard. Uh, Fair enough. So here, ladies and gentlemen, from an early tape of his work now at uh, MSNBC. He is Brian Williams being held to a higher standard. We interrupt this encore presentation of Lockup, Babes Behind Bars, to bring you this MSNBC breaking news. Here is MSNBC's breaking news editor, Brian Williams. And good evening from MSNBC's world headquarters inside NBC's world headquarters. Another devastating aftershock has rocked the mountainous Asian nation of Birnu tonight, and here is what we know so far. The aftershock registered an unprecedented, astounding... Dangerous 6.3 on the Richter scale. Already in the streets of Bernou's capital, I have seen widespread panic. I have received exclusive reports of... There are unconfirmed rumors of several injuries, and I have witnessed at least three dead bodies lying in... And no reports of deaths yet. But based on my visits to this remote mountain nation, based on exclusive reporting to this network... Based on Google Earth, it may be weeks, days, hours before rescuers are able to reach the area of the epicenter. Officials have told me this network 
the Associated Press that they fear more aftershocks in the coming days. And that, I can tell you from my experience in earthquake zones, from my conversations with leading seismologists, from what my producer just said in my ear, that that fear is what may keep people from returning to their homes. We will keep on top of this story, and we will break in whenever new developments, whenever major new developments... Whenever there's a commercial break in Babes Behind Bars. Reporting, reading teleprompter from New York, I'm Brian Williams. Stay tuned to MSNBC, where a tradition of journalistic excellence is always possible. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. The Moldovan Orthodox Church, didn't know they had one, did you, is reportedly now distancing itself from one of its priests after a video showing him riding a man like a donkey to exercise a demon from him was leaked online. The priest identified as Father Valerie of the Church of St. Michael in the state of Transnistria is uh, shown in a nearly two-minute clip on YouTube riding an unidentified man like a donkey as he screams out. So like a screaming donkey, almost. The Moldovan Orthodox Church has launched a probe. Assuming that this is not just some horrible joke, the video shows the potential for great abuse in such rituals, says a blogger. The video, the cameraman reportedly asked the portly priest how far the possessed man must carry him, and he responds to Jerusalem and the sacred mountain of Aphany. The man is said to plead that with the priest on him, he cannot go on and asks to carry the priest in his arms. Instead, good people, please save me. I cannot take it anymore, the possessed man reportedly says in the video. Well, it's the devil making him say that. That's absolutely obvious, ladies and gentlemen. News of the warm. No, news of, <laughs> news of the godly. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. I was prefiguring this. Not for the first time today. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Last month marked the hottest May in modern history, continuing a troubling trend of rising global temperatures, U.S. government scientists said this week. This was the warmest May on record, said the chief of the monitoring branch at NOAA. When global air, sea, and surface air and sea surface temperatures were averaged, May was one and a half degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the 20th century average. The temperatures were the highest for May in the 1880 to 2015 period, surpassing the previous record set last year. One quarter of the United States, as you know, is experiencing droughts. The monthly figures for May continue an upward climb for temperatures since the start of the year when the planet's land and ocean surfaces have been one and a half Fahrenheit above the 20th century average. Last year was the hottest on record, the agency also points out. And several glaciers on the southern Antarctic Peninsula suddenly began shedding... I I think we've had this story. But uh, what we haven't had is, and what's been widely reported this week, is the large, the high rate of glacier loss 
in Alaska in both uh, land-based and sea-based glaciers or the land-facing and sea-facing glaciers. So uh, we've heard a lot about Antarctica. Now it comes to Alaska. Well, why should, why should they be the last in line? Why should, why should Alaska be the last to serve? News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. So there's been um, a lot, an outpouring, a, a, a surfeit of verbi- verbiage following the horrific shooting disaster in uh, Charleston on Wednesday. One thing we know for sure, Dylan Roof's father gave him a gun recently on the occasion of his 21st birthday. Happy Father's Day, sir. Father of the year. Gave, gave a kid who his uncle described as a loner who didn't, at 19 didn't have a driver's license and spent most of his day in his room on the Internet, gave him a gun for his 21st birthday. Welcome to adulthood, babe, he might have said. Um, and then, of course, and, and uh, we learn uh, a lot about what this young feller uh, has been reading uh, through uh, what he's been writing on his blog. Uh, he's a ninth grade, grade dropout, so of course he should have a gun. Uh, on his birthday. But he's not the only person to seemingly be unaware of certain crucial facts about this nation's history with regard to race relations. Uh, This week here in New Orleans, I was uh, able to see a showing of a film done for PBS, which is based on a book I've been reading for a while it's it's rough going i don't it's not easy summertime reading ladies and gentlemen don't recommend don't take it to the beach perhaps but it's essential reading because it fills in 80 years of this country's history that is unknown to virtually every american uh the name of the book sort of tells you the story it's uh, written by a, a an historian named uh, douglas blackman although he's a white man and the book is called slavery by another name and it, in painstaking detail, and the, the TV show does as well, details the story of convict leasing, a system that was put into effect after Reconstruction failed, that basically had the effect of re-enslaving a large number of black, uh, of African-Americans in the South, uh, African-American males particularly, for an 80-year period, only ended with the onset of World War II. So thank you, Hitler for uh, getting us out of that. And, of course, the other verbiage that's been uh, a surfeit of is on the subject of the flag flying at full staff while the federal and state flags fly at half staff uh, at the South Carolina state capitol. It is the Stars and Bars, the Confederate battle flag. And um, once again, when the, the this flag comes into public debate, uh, you hear a lot of people saying this flag stands for racism, it stands for slavery, and on the other side you hear people saying it stands for tradition and heritage. And and I don't hear anybody saying what that flag really is. It's the loser's flag. You lost. Where Where else in the world do losers get to fly their flags on government buildings when they've lost a civil war, ladies and gentlemen? It's the loser's flag. Now, 
yes, I, uh, losers shouldn't be able to fly their flags, but maybe to compensate, they should have an anthem. Land of cotton and loam Losers Got to have a place to call home Secession Well, it's the source of our pride Cause our kinfolk were on The losing side Yeah, our kinfolk were on The losing side Oh, the stars and bars Will never be forgotten on our state flag, the X marks the spot. It took bravery to fight for slavery. That's how we're inclined, cause we're just the losing kind. Always left behind, cause we're just the losing Ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Let's start in Tbilisi, shall we? Yes, it's in Georgia, but not the one you're thinking of. The Prime Minister of Tbilisi, Irakli Garibashvili, thank you, has apologized for spreading inaccurate information two days ago when he announced that not a single animal from the flooded Tbilisi Zoo remained on the loose. That turned out to be 
inaccurate. A white tiger, which escaped from the zoo following the flooding, attacked and killed a man in a warehouse located close to the Heroes Square in the center of Tbilisi. Tiger was shot by the police. The prime minister said he was relying on information provided by the zoo's administration and told the prosecutor, chief prosecutor, to investigate. You can't rely on the head of the zoo to tell you where the animals are. Who can you rely on? Dateline San Rafael, California. American Airlines has apologized to a couple up there after they said the airline lost their dog on a journey to the Bay Area and had to endure more than 12 hours without food or water. These are animal apologies, yes. You're you're sensing the theme. Two-year-old rescue Winston was hardly treated like precious cargo in American, according to his owners. To know that he's not being fed, we don't know how much water he's been given. He's not been given a bathroom break. It's very upsetting, said owner Alexis Lakin. The couple was told an employee mixed up the labels on the kennel instead of putting him on a three-and-a-half-hour flight from Dallas to San Francisco. The airline sent him on a journey through Iowa and then Chicago before arriving at SFO. They believe he had no water or food for at least 14 hours. When I picked him up, he was edged toward the back of his crate, and he looked frightened. Co-owner Matt Lakin said, owner, all right, don't, don't punish me for that word. The Lakin said American never even contacted them after the mix-up. They didn't find out about it until Matt showed up at the airport and their dog was a no-show. American apologized for the mistake. We're glad that Winston made it safely to his intended destination, even though it was many hours later than originally scheduled. We're looking into how this error occurred and making sure the care Winston received was in line with our policies. The airline has offered to refund the dog's ticket. Give the dog another flight. A minor league baseball team in Utah has canceled a promotion called Caucasian Heritage Night. The Orem Owls, Orem is in Utah, a minor league affiliate of the California Angels, had the promotion scheduled for August 10th. The team said in a statement that the promotion was planned as a joke with Wonder Bread on burgers with mayonnaise, clips of Friends and Seinfeld in an attempt to solve the vertical leaping challenge. This sounds like history of white people in America, but that was a different era. We understand in the light of recent tragic events that our intentions have been misconstrued for that. We sincerely apologize, said the team. The statement didn't elaborate on what led to the cancellation, though there was heavy criticism online. The team spokeswoman declined to comment, referring questions to the statement. Yeah, go ask the statement a question. Apropos of the flag, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker apologized for remarks he made earlier in the day defending the rights of state capitals to fly the Confederate flag, initially calling it a matter of tradition. This is the Massachusetts governor. He said in an early afternoon radio interview, the state should be entitled to decide whether to fly the Confederate flag at their capitals. But he later backtracked and said he believed the controversial symbol should be removed. He'd heard from friends. Their message, he said, was basically, what are you thinking? Baker, a Republican, has courted African-American voters far more aggressively than previous GOP politicians in Massachusetts. In his um, mea culpa, he said, I just want to be clear, I abhor the symbolism and the history of that flag as much as anybody. He declined to say who called him to take issue with his earlier remarks, but he is sorry. CNN's Frederica Ritfield appeared on air to officially apologize for referring to the actions of the Dallas gunman who shot officers. 
as uh, courageous and brave. She clarified her remarks on air and said she misspoke, but she did not actually apologize, which led to criticism. So she then said the next day, I misspoke terribly. I misused those words terribly, and I sincerely apologize for making this statement. And I understand now how offensive it was. And I want to reiterate that in no way do I believe that the gunman was courageous or brave. I sincerely apologize. The Charleston Courier and Post, another journalism, journalistic apology, apologized to those who were offended by a gun range ad that was stuck on the front page of certain editions on Thursday, the day the front page story was of the gunman shooting and killing nine people in the Charleston church. Angry comments poured into the paper's Facebook page denouncing the ad, which is a sticker placed just above a headline about the attack. What were you thinking, one person wrote paper issued the following mea culpa. The front page sticky note that was attached to some home delivery newspapers on Thursday was a deeply regrettable coincidence. We apologize to those who were offended. So it was a dink. Governor Perry was right. Hines has apologized to a customer after a QR code. It's one of those, you know, little scratchy-looky things that you're supposed to hold up on your phone. On one of its tomato ketchup bottles linked to a porn site. After using a smartphone to scan the code, which was meant to provide information about a promotional campaign that offered personalized ketchup bottle labels, Daniel Correll was sent to a German adult site rather than a Heinz-run page. We really regret the incident, said a Heinz representative on Facebook. And then there is this. The beleaguered biologist Sir Tim Hunt has revealed he was forced to resign from his post at University College London without being given a chance to explain his controversial remarks about women in science, about which he apologized last week. He won the Nobel Prize in 2001 for his work on cell biology. He was the focus of widespread controversy. He was told that the university would have to resign his honorary post at the college. At no point did they ask me for an explanation of what I said or to put it in context. They just said I had to go. He was also sacked, fired from his post on the European Research Council's Science Committee, and has since resigned from other posts. I have become toxic, he told the Observer newspaper in London. I am finished. Several female, senior female scientists this week have come forward to defend Hunt. Although critical of his specific remarks, they all spoke warmly about his past support for younger scientists of either gender. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this program. Just one note on clean, cheap, safe, too clean to meter. The operator of Japan's 
Fuked nuclear power plant was aware of the need to improve the facility's defenses against tsunamis more than two years before the March 2011 disaster. This revelation cast out on claims by TEPCO that it had done everything possible to protect the plant. TEPCO executives agreed that building coastal defenses to defend the plant against tsunami higher than those previously recorded in the region was, quote, indispensable, according to a document which was discussed at a meeting at the plant in September 2008, two and a half years before the disaster. Whenever you hear somebody in the news say, nobody could possibly have imagined this, they did. That's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The U.S. and 440 cable system in Japan up and down the East Coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin, maybe you can hear it in Leipzig. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from iTunes, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, and TuneIn.com. And it'd be just like imagining the worst and doing something about it. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? All right, thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile and, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. Me? I'm the Harry Shearer on Twitter. And welcome aboard, K-Boo. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. Happy Father's Day from New Orleans. <laughs>